Hello, everyone. This is National Master and CEO Evan Rabin, and I am very excited to be here on the 48th edition of the Premier Chess Podcast with a very special guest, one of our close partners, Leona Krasner, who is the managing partner of Krasner Law PLLC, a boutique uh, matrimonial law firm with offices in New York and Jersey City. Uh, she is also the CEO and Managing Director of Krasner Review, which provides personalized, comprehensive, standardized exam tutoring, scholarship negotiation, career coaching, business coaching, and much more. Uh, she's also uh, been the founder and president of Tune for Tots and Teens, so has done a lot of other great work in the, uh, in the nonprofit uh, sector. Uh, and she has an MBA from NYU, which is actually where she knows our fellow accountability partner, Ben Margolis, from. Uh, and she has her JD in law, of course, from the Washington and Lee University School of Law. And she also went to NYU for undergrad. Uh, we met uh, about two years ago now through uh, BNI. And part of the reason we actually also connected uh, was A, because we were both uh, in the education realm, um, us obviously running our school programs and private lessons in addition to our corporate classes, but she also was very active in the Jewish community. Um, so she actually co-chaired the gala of the two JICNY galas in 2014 and 15, the 9th and 10th ones. Um, I am actually a huge supporter of JIC and Y. Uh, the director, Steve Eisenberg, is a dear friend and mentor of mine. Um, actually went to Israel with him in 2017 on his recharge trip. Uh, actually just had the honor of uh, learning some Torah with him this past Monday. He's doing a great uh, series by phone on Monday nights. Uh, and of course, the founders, Jody uh, and Gavin Samuels as well um, are, you know, phenomenal people. So um, that's definitely partially why, you know, we did connect uh, both as colleagues and friends. So uh, anyway, uh, without further ado, Leona, we're very excited uh, that you're on the podcast today. Uh, how's everything going with you? It's going wonderfully. Thank you so much, Evan, for having me on and happy Wednesday. Yes, hump day. <laughs> Uh, wonderful, wow. wonderful. So um, I did, you know, certainly on the uh, surface, uh, you know, touch upon your experiences and background, but could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes, of course. Uh, so right now, uh, I'd say the nine to five is the matrimonial practice where we're helping clients in New York or New Jersey get married, stop being married, and helping with the children as well. Uh, evenings and weekends, as you had mentioned, is <laughs> to review. So helping folks, helping students really sort of do way better and reach their goals when it comes to their exams, their classes, their applications, and telling their stories through those essays so we can then negotiate their scholarships. So that's happening on the weekends. I'm also a BNI director. And so there are over 60 BNI chapters in New York City, and I help manage something like five or six of them. And wow. so I'd say I visit a good at least three to five per week. And wow. so it's <laughs> a great way to, to sort of help make connections and, and help others learn how to network better and more effectively. So I really enjoy that. That's amazing. And, and look, I, I will say, um, and I've, Heard other people say this too. Leona is definitely one of those, uh, you know, go-getter networkers who's, you know, also wearing, you know, many hats. Um, yes, I, you know, didn't mention that she's a, a BNI director, um, you know, because yeah, she's doing a lot of different things, and she also works a little bit with Legal Shield um, and other uh, items uh, as well, actually. Um, so yeah, she's definitely, you know, doing quite a bit and. Um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing her growth, um, you know, pretty much every day. So, um, and, and we really do. So, um, you know, one thing that, um, you know, I actually normally don't even talk, you know, too open about this and, you know, it's kind of 
um, ironic actually that I'm going to, you know, bring it up on a, on a podcast, but um, Leona and Ben and I, for the last year, uh, you know, have been accountability partners. um, And I expect that to go um, on much longer. Um, And, you know, it's, it's actually really simple what we do, you know, every single day, uh, you know, the three of us will share our top three goals for the day uh, and what we accomplished the day before. Um, it definitely, I think, has been making me a lot more productive. Um, you know, just look, as the day is about to end, I'm like, wow, did I really do these two or three things? Oh, no, I didn't. Well, either I should like do it quickly or like know that, like, yes, then the next day I should definitely do it. Um, so, could, could you talk a little bit about? benefits you've seen uh, with accountability partners? Absolutely. Uh, so I was always the student in the front row with my hand raised. That's, that's very much me. And so it's really helpful for me to sort of make assignments, if you will, or, or even tell somebody else about those couple things that are the very most important for me to do. So one, that accountability piece, knowing that two other gentlemen who I hold in very high esteem now know. Uh, is awesome because it's kind of the kick in the pants to make sure I do those things. Also, uh, my to-do lists can get quite long. And sometimes I pop on a couple of aspirational items at the bottom that between you and me, I, I don't often have a chance to get to that day just because my days are so packed. So having to pick three focus items and having at least one of those be kind of health related or, you know, either whether it's exercise or nutrition or getting to bed at a certain time or making sure that I'm drinking my water sufficiently, uh, that's so helpful to me because now it's not the 96 items that I need to do and how will I do them, but it's three. Three items I can really laser in on that are nice and specific and focused and knowing that I have to get back to them that night means I'm way more likely to actually do them and they won't fall into the aspiration bucket. Hmm. No, and, and, and I think that's really important, actually. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have just so many goals in their life and so many things that they're trying to do. Um, and they just get, you know, a little bit, um, you know, they, they, they get sidetracked, right? They, they don't really know, um, you know, what to do. They don't know how to prioritize things. Um, and I think just something simple like accountability partners, um, you know, it's just a great way to, uh, you know, motivate you. Um, and, and by the way, I would say, um, you know, quite frankly, like Ben and Leona are, you know, definitely, you know, great friends of mine. Um, but, you know, at the same time, um, you know, we're very honest with each other. You know, I, I, I'm not saying like, you know, they don't do something, I'll get like annoyed at them or whatever. But, you know, just definitely, you know. Just, just the fact that, you know, I, I need to do something. I, I do get a little bit embarrassed, you know, that I didn't do, especially if it's something that I put on there for, you know, a few days in a row. Um, and then that's definitely happened before. Um, but yeah, it definitely makes me uh, a lot more, um, you know, productive, actually. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 I want to say, um, you know, I definitely encourage you to, you know, find one or two people. Um, that, you know, you, you think relate to, you relate to that, uh, you know, could give you some guidance in that front. Because uh, it's definitely something that helped me uh, quite a bit. And one thing I, I, I thought I would mention, actually, at the time when we started, I actually didn't know Leona that well. Um, you know, we met at her B&I group and we did connect. We did have a nice one-on-one and we connected on Facebook and, you know, she posted one day, oh yeah, I'm looking for accountability partners. I didn't really even know exactly what it meant, but I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And then sure enough, our mutual friend Ben also commented, I was like, oh wow, you know each other. Um, and then we did, and um, you know, now we know each other uh, you know, quite a bit. So um, anyhow, um, moving on, um, let's talk about your practices a little bit more, and I guess maybe you know, start with you know, just one, and then we'll get into the rest. Um, so let's start with, um, you know, your day job, Crasser um, Law. Um, tell us about your practice. Of course. So Crasser Law, um, our goal is, and our, our approach really is to work with our clients 
as equals, where it's almost an advisory type relationship where we're going at this hand in hand. There's the outcome that we're looking for, there are the steps that we need to take to get there, and I find that it's best when I work closely with my clients, check in with them, show them drafts of things, because the outcomes are going to affect their lives. And so I work very closely with my clients and, and have lots and lots of touch points in between. Um, and uh, my approach is to, to try to make law a little bit more affordable as well. Uh, so for the most part, I operate on a flat rate basis where it's sort of piece by piece, where it's the flat rate to draft documents that might need to go to court, for example, then there's the piece where I prepare for and go and argue in court. And my goal is really to make the process faster than it might otherwise be, to make it less expensive, and to make it less stressful. Hmm. So when you are practicing law, um, could you just, I mean, everyone obviously knows what matrimonial law is, you know, in a simple context like you know divorces and prenups um, and I'm sure every you know process is very different but could you talk a little bit like let's say you know a wife comes to you and says you know what I, I want to get divorced in you know the next couple months to a year um, what is the general process like that's a great question, Evan. So what it looks like is the very first step is to decide whether this is going to be an uncontested divorce, whether you're going to be proceeding through mediation, or whether mm. it's going to be a contested divorce. And so if it's an uncontested divorce, basically you and your partner are going to be agreeing to the terms of your divorce. So if that means no children, that just means we're drafting the paperwork, deciding what we're going to do in terms of property that you guys accumulated together, perhaps debt that you accumulated together as well, and making that division. If there are children involved, it's going to be all of that, plus child visitation, physical custody, legal custody, what that's going to look like, child support as well. And so parents often agree. Uh, and so the biggest part really is kind of that agreement and making sure we nail all of it down. And that's how an uncontested divorce goes. There's no need to show up in court. We draft all the paperwork beforehand, submit it to the court. It takes around four to seven months for a court to issue what's called a judgment of divorce. And only at the time of the issuance of that judgment of divorce are two people legally divorced. Okay. Now, mediation is where. The two folks don't want to go to court. They want to negotiate out their divorce, but they're having a little trouble. They hire a divorce mediator, and then the divorce mediator kind of helps the two clients figure out their divorce together, sort of piece by piece, step by step, first chatting about the property, maybe the retirement accounts, what that's going to look like. See where those real areas of conflict are and, and see if the two folks can really kind of talk through them and come up with a compromise somewhere where they're, they're willing to meet. And then once a mediation is complete, that turns into an uncontested divorce. The parties no longer need to go to court. And the third cut is a contested divorce. The two people are not willing to hash it out. It's not working. They're not looking to go there. Uh, and so those cases go to court and it's a long process. One of the lengthier parts of the process is called discovery. And so that's where one side asks the other for to answer a whole lot of questions and to produce a whole lot of documents. And this is usually where certain accounts mysteriously get forgotten about. Um, and it's, it's usually quite contentious and, and messy um, and it costs more money. So, and it typically takes a lot longer as well and, and tends to be a little bit more stressful. Uh, but I help clients who are in all three buckets. Um, yeah, and, and I think that is, you know, definitely crucial and it relates to something that uh, John Blythe, a personal injury attorney, once wrote a blog post about um, on our blog, actually, uh, you know, which was actually about uh, the litigation process. Mm -hmm. And he actually wrote about how, uh, you know, when 
obviously it's you know a very different uh you know type of case uh you know where someone was injured rather than you know a couple you know getting divorced uh but at the same time uh, by the way for those of you watching on facebook live uh john Blythe's father actually did this painting uh that's in the background of me um yeah literally i i went into john Blythe's office one day and just shocked me with it. I mean, he did tell me he had a surprise, but like, I mean, I had no idea what to expect. You know, I thought maybe he was going to like introduce me to like his firm to do classes or, I, I mean, I had no idea. But he was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, my dad's an artist. And I, you know, casually mentioned you to my dad, you know, that you joined my BNI group and everything. He did this thing. I was like, wow. And, and I never even met his father, which was just like amazing. Um, but anyway, um, the reason I, you know, I, I bring up this article is, you know, he talked about how different, you know, cases are very unique. Um, I actually was in a car accident a couple of years ago, um, and I actually did get a settlement eventually. I actually used um, my friend Adams Grosak's father, Rocky Grosak uh, firm. Um, and they, you know, actually helped me quite a bit. Um, but I, I never knew what the process was like. You know, for me, it was like, yeah, I had an initial call with Rocky's associate. Um, you know, I gave him all the information. And two years later, I got a settlement. You know, in fact, I, I'll never forget, like, that day he called me up. And he was like, oh, by the way, we got $5,000. So I was like, what? Like, I thought you forgot about the case, literally. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, John actually really just broke down the process and was like, wow, you know, in the very beginning, you know, yes, you do your due diligence, right? That's your opening moves. You then figure out, uh, you know, what, what's your strategy? What court are we going to go to, right? Certain courts are a little bit more conservative than others, um, right? And then only after that do you, you know, kind of build your plan and go to trial and so forth. Um, and I think from what you're saying, um, you know, it's pretty much the same thing in a matrimonial case where, you know, you're actually, uh, you know, building a strategy that, you know, based on the situation. Uh, so could you talk a little bit more about your thoughts about that? Of course. Uh, so civil procedure, civil uh, practice uh, is, is really, really important when it comes to matrimonial law, making sure that you file the documents in the right place. Uh, so very, very specific rules about that. And so, for example, in New York, to start a divorce, for instance, uh, the way to do that is in Supreme Court. And there's also the family courts. And the family courts, uh, typically, those have to do, uh, and we go to them when it's, it's matters concerning, say, child custody, child support, child visitation. Supreme and family court actually have what's called concurrent jurisdiction over those types of matters. And so Supreme Court in the context, for example, of a divorce case, will hear stuff about children as well, but family courts are courts for family type issues. So in addition to issues relating to children uh, during a divorce process, or for example, if the parents weren't married, the family courts also exist if there's not great stuff happening in the family. So for example, if, if there's a need for a temporary restraining order, for instance. And so it's really important to know where to file correctly. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely a process. You can't just, you know, get right into it. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, on the chessboard. Um, you know, very often I'll have either beginner or intermediate students uh, you know, basically go on a all-out inside attack, you know, on any game that they're playing. Um, and I say, you know, why, why did you, you know, decide to, you know, attack the king now? And they say, well, that's the goal of the game. You know, you, you got to checkmate your opponent's king. But at the same time, you know, are there any actual weaknesses here on the king's side? Not really. Do you have a whole lot more pieces than him on the king side? Not really, right? So what is actually justified here and what's not justified here? Oh, well, you know what? Maybe 
he actually does have some weaknesses that are on the queen side. So rather than, you know, go out for a kingside attack, he should actually attack his weaknesses on the queen side, eventually get some sort of material advantage where, yes, you'll be able to use that material advantage to attack on the king side. So, um, of course, this is, you know, just an analogy, but, um, you know, I think it's important, uh, you know, in a matrimonial case, um, and you could certainly, you know, talk about this a lot more than I can. Um, you know, by the way, you know, my parents are divorced, so I definitely have, you know, somewhat seen, uh, you know, the process um, firsthand. Um, but, um, you know, at the same time, you're, it's obviously your expertise, but, um, you know, yes, I, as you said, um, you know, different cases are different. Uh, you know, first you need to decide, like, look, are, are the parents, you know, butting heads in this matter? Um, or is it one where, you know, like something like mediation could actually, uh, you know, solve the process? Um, so you need to, you know, kind of like we do in our thought process, we often ask, hmm, the first thing you need to do is write down your opponent's move. Then you need to figure out why he went there. Then you need to think, ooh, what are the options? Right? And then only from there could you start to, you know, actually come up with the best move that has the biggest return on investment. Um, and then from there, you know, do a quick um, check to see if there's a better move. And then, you know, lastly, do a blunder check. Um, so before we move on from your law practice into, you know, the education realm, as an attorney, what do you think are the biggest benefits that you could learn through chess? So it all comes down to strategy. At the end of the day, it's very easy to get excited about that end goal and, and have this end goal in mind. Um, but the steps to get there are so, so critically important. It's also really important to know your opponent because it, it's a little bit of psychology there for sure. Is this going to be somebody who's going to make it easy for you to do your thing or is going to make it very, very challenging? How do they approach the game or the case? What, what, it, what are their tactics? How are they doing this? And how can we counter in the most effective, efficient, but powerful manner? So obviously I don't want to, you know, expect you to, you know, reveal a name or anything, but uh, could you maybe just take, you know, maybe one example of a case that you've had in the past and just sort of talk a little bit about, you know, what the process was like and, and how it kind of, how you, you've kind of decided, um, you know, the relationships of them and their opponents or whatnot? Of course. Uh, and I'd be happy actually to, to maybe chat about two and show how they're a little bit different. Please. So in one case, even better. <laughs> wonderful. In one case, client came to me, she and her husband uh, are on, were on very equal footing, had very similar jobs, making around the same amount of money, had saved around the same amount, had the same amount in retirement and literally wanted everything down the middle. And so what we did was I met with her found out way more about her, her situation, what her finances look like, uh, what she wanted, really. And from there, I drafted the summons and verified complaint, knowing full well that it didn't sound as though her ex was looking to hire an attorney. They both wanted to get the divorce. They wanted to get the divorce quickly. And then I drafted what's called, a, what's called the settlement agreement where it really laid out the contract between the two, where everything would be what's his was his, what's hers was hers, filed that, then drafted all of the divorce paperwork. It's called the divorce closeout uh, paperwork. And then we all met together. They signed everything they needed to sign, and I signed everything I needed to sign and notarized what needed notarizing. All those documents went to the court, Four months later, we were issued the judgment of divorce. Okay, so really kind of easy, simplify, simple kind of streamlined process. Now, got another case where the two parties were very, very much at odds. Uh, there was infidelity. 
there was hiding of things. Uh, there was, uh, you know, an attorney who was looking to be really, really zealous uh, in terms of fighting for the lawyer's client. And so in that case, the discovery process got a little bit stalled. And I had to draft what was called in order to show cause to get that process moving again. Because a bunch of things were ordered initially after the pretrial conference that weren't kind of being done. And so there, we're in court and we're talking to the judge and we need to get done what we need to get done. And so this case currently is, is still in court. We're still fighting for some of those pieces that are part of the discovery process that weren't disclosed to us yet. Um, and it, it doesn't sound as though we're going to be all done tomorrow. So it's really where, I mean, that, that really runs the gamut, you know, where the uncontested streamlined process versus us fighting for justice. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, so what would you say in addition to, you know, learning how to, you know, judge your opponent? Uh, so we, as you know, teach 16 associates once a month at Kramer Levin. And a lot of the reason that we're there uh, is to sort of teach judgment training. Uh, and actually, you wrench wrote a blog post for us uh, about how half of uh, matrimonial law, uh, you know, as well as chess is actually just controlling your emotions. Um, so could you talk a little bit about judgment training and controlling your emotions? Yes, of course. So divorce, separation, child issues can be some of the most stressful times in somebody's life. And so it's very, very easy to get into the mindset of they have to pay. I'm going to do whatever it takes and, and milk them for the last time and <laughs> run them through the ringer. And so these are all really, really common because there's hurt, there's anger, there's pain. Here's a relationship that I imagine the two people were really hoping would last forever and it's not working and it's breaking mm. down. And so between the personal feelings of, or what did I do to make this not work out? And the, oh my gosh, there's just, there's just such a not nice person. They usually use a different word, but there's such a not nice person. I have to get them. We have to, we have to pause and think logically about exactly what it is we're looking for. Yes, we can go to court. It can take forever. It can cost everybody a ton of money, but is that really going to help you? Is that really going to help the children? Paying the lawyers tons and tons of money and having the case take years and years, who is that really helping? Mm. Yes, it's probably going to bother your ex. It's also going to bother you, and it's also going to bother your, your checkbook. Mm. Right? So thinking about priorities. Uh, so one thing that I always do with my clients through that intake process at the very beginning is talk them through and find out from them what their desired outcomes are. What's most important? And, and P.S., taking them through the ringer? That, no, we're not putting that under desired outcomes. Literally, what are we looking for? Are we looking for a divorce? Are you looking to keep the house? Are you looking to let him have the house so you can get three quarters of his pension? What is most important to you here? What's visitation going to look like with the kids? Where do you want them to live? How many days a week do you want to have them? Let's talk about support. What is child support going to look like? Is he or she going to have to pay half for college or extracurriculars right now or babysitters? Talking through the nitty gritty and bringing it back down to what's going to happen and how the divorce is going to affect their lives and what's going to, what it's going to look like after the divorce. So, so important. So it's critical not to let emotions take control, I'd say in divorce, probably also in chess. And we mm. talk about all of that. No, and, and a lot of it is. Um, you know, my coach, Leonid Udasin, uh, who at his peak was rated seventh in the world and was a world championship candidate, uh, you, he used to always talk about emotions. Um, and I think, um, you know, it's very important to realize that it's always important to remember that every 
blunder. Every big mistake actually happens for a reason. Um, I used to get a little frustrated with Landed um, occasionally uh, when you know we'd be going over one of my games, and I knew that I blundered clearly. Uh, and he and he asked me like, "Why did you blunder here?" And I said, "You know, I don't know. I made a mistake. I I just messed up. You know, I, like, let's move on. You know, let's go to the next game. There's not much you know more to learn from here." But he really drilled into it and was like, "No, Evan, like." you didn't just blunder like it happened for some sort of reason. Um, and, and after we would look into it, uh, more often than not, there was some outside reason. Either I misevaluated the position. I was overconfident. I was unconfident. I actually had a decent position, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I just thought I was, you know, much worse because I wasn't, um, uh, confident enough um or there were other times where i straight up was just distracted you know i had a big test going on and at school and rather than um you know study and get ready for the test i decided you know what i would play a tournament that day when really both for not getting my schoolwork done but also for not having a clear mind you know i shouldn't have even played a tournament that day um, and sometimes that actually was the answer um, so the fact is, right, yes, you do need your, your mind sharp. Uh, and this is something that another attorney, uh, Lisa Cunningham, has talked about. She was actually on the podcast a couple weeks ago. She's a disability attorney. Um, she's actually the one who first got me to even consider teaching at law firms because um, she explained how, you know, on the one hand, she knows disability law in and out. She's been practicing for 10 or 15 years now. Uh, but on the other hand, every single case is very different. Um, you know, if she's on trial or on a deadline, she needs to actually take everything she knows and really just, you know, put that into five minutes of work. Uh, obviously, you know, with you, it's the exact same thing. Um, you also mentioned before we get into, you know, tutoring, you know, the need to have. You have to do this. You know, you, you, you need the money. You need the extra results. And I will say a mutual friend of ours, Brian Winston, definitely comes to mind because there's a very natural tendency to say you need things. And I remember the first time I met Brian for coffee, uh, he, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is a great business coach, um, also a, certainly an accountability coach as well. Um, and I kept telling him things that I needed to have. You know, I said, I, I, I need to make money. I need to, you know, work 24-7. I, you know, have trouble sleeping because there are things that I forgot that I, you know, didn't do that day, uh, et cetera. And he kept questioning me. He was like, do you really need this? I was like, yeah, I do. Of course. I'm the only person in the company. Well, there's 48 instructors, but I'm the only one who's, you know, running all operations. And he's like, you really need this. I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course I do. You know, kind of like the case with the Dawson actually. I was a little frustrated with him at first. You know, but he was like questioning all this stuff. And then I, I started to think about it and he started to explain it a little bit. And he was like, no, there are tons of people in New York that would love to do admin work. You know what? Actually, if you don't respond to that email at 10 o'clock at night and you respond at 10 a.m. the next morning, guess what? Like, that's to be expected. Right? And I actually remember back when I was doing sales at Oracle, I occasionally responded to an email at night, but rarely. You know, I, I, I left my computer at, at, at the office for the most part. You know, I did have email on my phone. It did take my computer home some days. But really, for the most part, I, you know, at 6 o'clock, I stopped working. Guess what? I could do that now. I choose to not, but I, I absolutely could. So very important whether it's law or chess or anything else to you know be able to control your emotions and of course that's definitely no different uh, when it comes to the other main practice which is um prisoner review uh you know getting people ready for you know college um also general k-12 tutoring etc so tell us a little bit more about prisoner review absolutely 
So through Krasner Review, we help students K through 12, help them get into undergrad, grad school, law school, and business school. And so the way that we do that is through personalized instruction and working with students on, on everything, really. I mean, it's a comprehensive approach, but really diving deep on areas that give the students the most trouble. And also confidence plays a huge, huge role when it comes to standardized exams. And so we do quite a bit of focus on confidence building as well. And then accountability. We talked about how important accountability is. It's very, very important when it comes to studying. And so we check, we create a, a day by day homework study plan. And each student has to check in every day on a Google tracker about what they accomplished and what they didn't accomplish. And so the more they learn and then the more they practice, generally the better that they do. And then regarding uh, applications and scholarship negotiation, so students really want to, no, sorry, schools really want to learn students' stories. And those students whose stories they really, really like are the students who they then offer scholarships to. And, and these are not need-based, they're merit-based. And so I work with students where they tell their story in a truthful way, of course, but where they talk about experiences they've had and where they want to go. And the way that they frame these stories is by including the themes and characteristics and character traits that are the most important to schools. And so we do a deep dive into each school's website and try to pull out what the school really prides itself on. Is it leadership? Is it community? Is it academic excellence? What factors are the most important to the schools? And how can we demonstrate those factors in the essays using the students' abilities and experiences, goals, endeavors, and five and 10-year plans? Hmm. And then we enter the negotiation stage where we find out, I find out earlier on which schools are, are the, the dream schools. Right, the goal schools, where would the students love to go? And we really look to get them into those schools and negotiate them scholarships there. Wonderful. Um, yeah, so, um, and, 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 I, and I think definitely the process is actually pretty similar in a way to matrimonial law or a chess game, um, actually, right? Um, you know, it, it starts with, you know, a kid is in ninth, tenth grade, starting to think about college and, you know, starting to think about, um, you know, where he's going to go, right? Starting, you know, the process, right? After that, he, you know, starts to know what he wants, right? Um, just like we would ask, you know, why didn't our opponent make a move? How do we respond? Let's come up with candidates. You know, he finds his list of 10 to 12 schools that he's going to visit or more or less, right? And then kind of narrows things down just like you would, you know, pick a, a chess move. So um, before I get into another potential correlation, could you talk about um, just kind of the process of how a typical student would um, kind of narrow down, uh, you know, their choices and how that might relate to, you know, finding candidate moves on the chessboard and coming up with the best move? Of course. Uh, so I was working with a student who was looking to apply to law schools. And so what I always do with students who are looking to apply someplace is we, we build out a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets. Right? They <laughs> help, help a whole lot, all areas of life. And so we narrow schools down to reach schools, so schools that are a little bit or, or maybe a lot above where the numbers are, GPA, standardized exam scores, and there are the target schools where we're, we're right smack in the middle. And then there are the safety schools where the student's probably going to be a shoe in uh, just because their scores are above what the school is looking for. And then we go through each one. And, and before that, I talk to the student, what are you most looking for at each school, at, at your dream school? Are you looking for certain academics, a certain major, and we want that major to be kind of well-regarded in the international community at the school. Are we looking at school size, community, sports, extracurriculars? 
whether the school is situated in the middle of a city or not, where in the country the student wants to be, where the student wants to be working once they graduate or down the line. So we go through all of these different factors and help narrow down schools that way. Uh, and, and there can still be a pretty sizable number of schools on the list and that's okay. I urge students to, to not just think about applying to one or two schools uh, because that could be really dangerous. Uh, and, and by applying to, to more schools, uh, that's going to improve our chances of, of negotiating an awesome scholarship just because that way we can pin one school against the other. And I mean, similarly in chess, it's, it's good to have options and not only to have options, but to know what those options are and to think about what they're going to get you. For example, and then to, to relate it back to, to tutoring and admissions and applications, the reason why we apply to safeties, or one of them, one of the reasons is, so if the student gets in with a scholarship, we can then bring that scholarship offer to a school that they you know is higher up on their wish list and say oh well this school offered us this much how i really want to go to your school how can you help and so it's good to to have a couple a couple of different outcomes i imagine um yeah so and that actually i think is the perfect transition actually into my next you know question which is, of course, yes, scholarships is important. Um, and by the way, that relates to the same process. I know it's not something you do too much. And I do know, uh, you know, career coaches uh, like Elena Cruz, for instance, and others that, you know, do this. Um, but, you know, it also relates to, you know, when you're applying to jobs, right? If you have another offer, uh, your negotiation power, you know, goes up. Um, you know, I've been telling that to a lot of people in, you know, the job search. Uh, Jacob Levy uh, is another, uh, you know, great career coach that, you know, has talked about this. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you know, very important. Um, but um, because of that, though, um, you know, I do also think that, of course, chess uh, or an extracurricular, act another extracurricular activity um, could certainly have a great impact, uh, you know, on one's college uh, resume. Um, and, you know, look, I, we, by the way, have some great education partners. Um, so it certainly doesn't have to be chess. Um, you know, I know that, you know, Michael Joyce works with kids in basketball and Michael Papapavlu works with kids and guitar. Uh, Elena helps a lot of kids with uh, dance and, and the arts. Um, and I could think of many, many others as well. Uh, but talk to us the, you know, the importance of having you know, an extracurricular activity like chess or music or sports, uh, et cetera, um, you know, on your college resume. So, extracurricul well. so extracurriculars are critical just because schools are really looking for a well-rounded individual who's going to make the school, frankly, a better place. And so grades are one thing, and high grades are very highly sought out by schools, but what makes you unique isn't going to be your GPA. It's going mm. to be what else you do, and those connections that you're making with people. So whether it's chess, or guitar, or dance, or singing, or acting, or sports, all of that adds to the package that you're bringing, not only to schools, Hmm. But to your career, uh, I'm putting an interests section on your resume where you include a couple things that actually truly interest you, lead to more conversation and making deeper bonds with your interviewer than just job description type resume specific items. And so it also helps balance out the academic or career from, you know, from sort of taking over your life. And, and so both jobs as, as well as admissions officers are really more those extracurriculars and for you to showcase the fact that you shine in different areas of your life, not just one. 
Um, yeah, no, and that's, you know, look, it's, it's so true. Um, you know, I was actually talking to one of our students at the Grace Church School, uh, Wyatt, um, in the beginning of last year. Uh, thankfully, he actually just got into, well, not just, he got into university a couple months ago and, you know, starting in August. Um, but, you know, I remember he was a junior at the time and he was pretty honest with me, actually. He said, like, look, I like chess. Uh, I played it as a kid back in elementary school. I enjoyed it. Um, but like, you know, honestly, I, I don't know if I could, uh, you know, spend that much time, you know, with it now. Um, I certainly love to come to, you know, class every week, but you know, I don't know if I could go play tournaments and go to the nationals and things like that. Um, but I explained to him quite the opposite. You know, this is not a distraction uh, to, you know, college. Um, yes, you definitely need to work with people like Leona for SATs and the college essay and all of that, truly. Um, and by the way, um, there are definitely, like Leona is you know, absolutely wonderful and uh, she's really our go-to when it comes to you know, college uh, you know, admissions. Um, and you could find her, of course, on premierchess.com slash partners. Um, but there's you know, a lot of other great people out there as well. Um, you know, this, I'll just highlight one person that I always like to bring up, which is Julie Post. Uh, she's on the Upper West Side and uh, truly is also one of the best tutors that I know um, and is, you know, very high end on the Upper West Side. Um, and I think I did actually introduce Leona to Julie uh, at one point, actually. So um, that said, um, you know, of course, that's after battle. Um, and I actually explained to Wyatt, like, no, quite, quite the opposite. You know, if you could tell a school that, you know, you even just played a national tournament, uh, you don't necessarily need to be in the top three. Um, this is something I also spoke uh, with Maurice uh, Frumkin about a couple um, months ago. Uh, or... Okay, so, yeah, so just as, as we were saying, right, there's definitely a very important uh, aspect of, uh, extracurriculars and yes you know one of our students uh, you know at the Grace Church School was having you know a little bit of trouble um, you know with the extracurricular aspect but of course we did uh, you know help him out and we you know I actually brought in my uh, college essay that I actually wrote about winning the amateur team East back in 2007 um, I was part of the winning team with uh, FIDE master James Fratelli um, national master Alan Hanter National Master Evan Tertel and expert Nick Panico. Um, and yeah, you know, it was a great way for me to, you know, tell an extra story that, of course, was not, uh, you know, on my transcript and so forth. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, that, that definitely, uh, you know, is absolutely crucial. The last aspect I wanted to very quickly touch upon uh, is the importance of customer service, uh, customer service, <laughs> uh, community service. Um, we, every year, as you know, bring a team of volunteers with Teresa Grant's Make a Difference Now, uh, and it's a great way for, you know, kids to actually give back, uh, you know, with something like chess. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly other organizations like DeRote, uh, that people will, uh, volunteer with. Um, actually one of our instructors, Richard Lewis, actually facilitates one of those programs, so... Could you talk about how something like chess could also be used as a way of giving back and adding to community service? Of course. And I love to chat about both customer service, community service. Uh, <laughs> and You're that too. So. Chess, so wrapping it all up. So customer service is key. And what uh, one of my favorite things about Evan is how well he excels at this. Uh, he, he never lets a relationship, a, a I never forgets to to send that article to make that connection with people he meets, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, always looking to to touch back in, whether with clients or or peers. So that's customer service, and we feel the same way. Uh, and then regarding community service, so community service is critical, and and I love all that you do, Evan, and look forward to updates about your trips to Africa and and helping healthy children there learn about this thing called chess. I think that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I think that's so cool. 
So I have a nonprofit called Tunes for Tots and Teens, where volunteers play concerts for children. And so we'll go into hospitals and schools and festivals, literally play some music for the children, tell them a little bit more about the composers and, and music in general, and then we're out. Uh, and so it's a, a way to spread a little bit of cheer, uh, especially around holiday time. And so right now, during this virus period, we are not playing live concerts, of course, um, but hopefully around the holidays, we can come back and, and spread a little bit of cheer, one child at a time. Beautiful. Well, I'm going to quote something that I quote on almost every episode, which is something I really love, which is Glisten Niekirk's quote of Metro World Child. It's so much easier to f teach a child than fix a broken adult. I think that is so, so true. And I think that's something that Leona certainly embodies as well. So Leona, truly, this has been, I think, an amazing episode, just uh, talking about many different things, uh, you know, from talking about the importance of accountability partners to getting into legal strategy and how it relates to a chess game, knowing your opponent, um, and then really going into the K-12 admissions um, process and tutoring and talking about how something like chess could actually be a great extracurricular activity to get students uh, to set themselves apart uh, from some of their competitors, uh, you know, getting into university both for undergrad and grad school. So, Leona, uh, if anyone does have any questions with regard to your matrimonial law practice, or Krasner Review uh, for K-12 Admissions and Test Prep, uh, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Evan, first, thank you so much for the opportunity to appear. Easiest way to get in touch with me is to give me a call. My number is 917-589-6519, or you can send me an email at leona, L-E-O-N-A, at L Krasner, that's L-K-R-A-S-N-E-R.com. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Evan. I so appreciate it, and I so appreciate you. Well, my sincere pleasure. And of course, like many of the other people that are on our podcast as well, you could certainly find Krasner Review on our partners page as well, premierchess.com slash partners. So thank you so much, Leona. And I look forward to being in touch and maybe having you on the podcast again one day. Fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure.